on January 16, 1939, the first daily newspaper comic strip of Superman debuted. Similarly to how Superman is the Man of Steel, the Men of the Gridiron know how to captivate an audience. This date is conspicuous though, because the day before the Superman Daily News comic strip was debuted, the first NFL Pro Bowl game was played at Wrigley Field. However, this game wasn't played in the city of Chicago. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off our DeLorean, the date is January 15th. 1939, and we were at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, California. Wait a tick, I thought Wrigley Field, LA, not Chi-Town. Uh, you know, what are we talking about here? I was convinced that Wrigley Field was in Chicago, you know, the Cubs and all that kind of thing, and I had to look it up myself. You see, Wrigley Field in LA was actually the first Wrigley Field that there was. Now, Chicago's Wrigley Field was built first, But it wasn't called Wrigley Field until 1926 after the Cubs owner, William Wrigley Jr. So that's just a little bit of a kind of side history lesson for you. But Wrigley Field in Chicago did play a huge role in the NFL. That was the home of the Bears for 49 years. But let's get back to this Pro Bowl. You see, 1939, for the 1938 season, George Preston Marshall had an idea. You know, he had one of those little light bulb moments pop above his head and he's like, wait I have one idea how we could get more fans to the stands and we could make some more money for all of us owners. So they would have a game sponsored by the Los Angeles Times Charities where they would take the NFL champion and they would square them against the rest of the NFL's best players. So this first game, the 1939 Pro Bowl, they would also on the All-Stars team have five members from two Pacific Coast teams, which... California, it was growing popularity at the time, so there was another way to kind of boost the intrigue of the NFL in the area and that kind of thing. So the Giants, who won the uh, NFL championship the year before, they would play against the All-Stars, you know, the rest of the best and all that kind of thing. And like I said, they played at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, California. So the game was pretty close. It was a final score of 13 to 10, the Giants would come out victors. You know, the champs would take on the All Stars and they would just defeat them. I mean, you got to figure though, because the Giants, they played together for the whole year. So it wasn't quite as uh, maybe talent was lopsided, but it wasn't totally fair because you didn't get a chance to practice and that kind of thing. But either which way, it was still, um, let's say, a positive thing for the league because there's. Uh, There were various statements on how many fans actually showed up. I saw uh, one place that said there were 15,000 fans and another said 20,000 fans showed up or either which way. It was revenue for the league. And this style of a Pro Bowl would last until 1942. So it was short lived, but there were reasons for it. Uh, One one thing that I saw was uh, travel restrictions in 1942 due to World War II and Part of that had to do with probably fuel and all sorts of different kind of reasons and such. So let's just say it was short-lived, but it still gave them a good idea. Now, speaking of good idea, 
and something I had no clue even existed, there was another type of all-star game that was going on since 1934. Now, August 31st, 1934 to be exact, is where we're going to hop this little DeLorean back to because we're going to be there for the inaugural preseason college all-star game. Now, this is something that just, I was like, wait, what? The previous year's NFL champion would face off against the just-graduated college all-stars. I mean, this would end up lasting until July 23rd of 1976. I'm like, that's a long time to have this uh, type of professional versus college game. I'm like, to me, now, it just blows my mind. That would, what's the point, you know? At the time, it wasn't really that far-fetched. And this annual game would be known as the Chicago Charities College All-Star Game. It was pretty popular for the tenure, you know, for those 42 years that it was there. Like I said, I had no idea that it existed. I mean, the risk of injury. Why would you even do this? I mean, I was just thinking, also, how could a bunch of college players beat a championship professional team? It just doesn't make sense, right? Well, au contraire. Because if you remember from previous episodes, the 1920s and 1930s, now college was still more popular than the professional ranks. So many of the top college players They didn't even opt to play professional football. They're like, got my degree, I'm out. Good to go. So for the first five years of this All-Star game, the college All-Stars actually beat the champions of the NFL two different times, then they would tie two different times, and the NFL champions only beat the college All-Stars one time. I mean, this just boggled my mind. But then it made sense when I just started thinking about how the top college players often would opt out to not even play professional football. Now, this is a a little bit random, but one year that I saw that was a little particularly interesting was 1939. And this year, there were, it looked like a lot of different games between NFL teams and college all-stars. You know, different kind of conferences and that uh, sort of thing. Now, even though there were just a bunch of them, one random game from the series that I saw involved those very New York Giants that in the 1939 first Pro Bowl game would beat the professional all-stars. But this time, They're playing against college All-Stars in a preseason game before the 1939 season would kick off. So this game, where they faced the college All-Stars, would be held in August at Soldier Field. They had 81,456 fans at this game to watch. I mean, that's a huge crowd at any time. But to come and watch a bunch of professional football players play against college players in a preseason game that pretty much doesn't make any sense and the reason why the injuries and all that kind of thing but hey that's a lot of money but the cool thing I saw was the way that they brought in the college players and decided who was on the team they had a fan vote it was roughly 11 million votes that were cast through a network of 335 newspapers and radio stations in 47 states including DC I mean that's a huge project to put together back in 1939 not like we've got Mr. Bill Gates internet nowadays just click, 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 that little button right there, and boom, got my vote in. It was a little bit different. Probably had to tally it up by hand, and you got that little, what's that thing you put the little bees back and forth, and you know, that kind of thing, and just, just a little bit different as far as today goes, but they got the job done, they got the fans to the stands, and the Giants would end up winning that game 9 to nothing. And as did the NFL professional teams most years, because... As the NFL continued to grow in popularity, all college players decided they were going to go professional. So, of course, teams that were playing together more, you know, the college players, they didn't play together for the most part. And then, of course, they were rookies, so they didn't quite have that same, uh, let's just say, talent level as the professionals did. But, however, 
there was something in 1963 of which you could probably say uh, miraculous proportions because the college all-stars would defeat the reigning champion. Now get this name before I say it. Sit down because this should not have ever happened, right? The Green Bay Packers and Vince Lombardi. And after this game, now Lombardi, that dude, he, he was not too happy about this. They said that he was visibly sick. And the players said that afterwards, anytime they were playing bad or having a bad practice, he let them know about it, about that time that they let the college all-star games or college all-star team beat them, the reigning champions back in 1963. And former Packer Boyd Dowler, now he recalled an event after the game, and it went as such. We used to have a social get-together after a night game. Lombardi came in, and he looked visibly upset, like death warmed over. He wasn't real kind when we got together for training camp again. And as I suggested earlier, the last professional, you know, where there was a champion versus the college all-stars, that game would occur in 1976, on July 23rd. And this was between the reigning Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers in a crazy thunderstorm that had monsoon-like rain, and they kept playing for a while, but for some reason, it just got way out of control. The refs couldn't handle it, and the stadium security, they were just like, I throw my hands up, because the fans would end up storming the field, they're sliding around in the rain and pulling down the goalposts and all this kind of thing, and they ended up canceling the game in the third quarter. And they're like, I had it, enough. The NFL says we're shutting this thing down, and they would never have that game again. Now, I included a link to a video of this game in the show notes, which, by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player or head to thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, I ask that you please subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player choice. That way you get the freshest, hottest out of the press episodes each and every week. But enough of this. Professional guys playing against college all-stars and things. Let's flash back to 1951. Like I said previously, 1942 is when they kind of shut her down. But in 1951, they would rise like the Phoenix and bring it back together again. This time, in 1951, when they brought the Pro Bowl back, it was closer to what it is nowadays. It was probably better, actually, but we'll get to that later. Now, they had all-stars. They would actually pick them from each conference to be able to play against each other. And it would be at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, where they would play for basically the next 20 or so years. But 1971... Now, this is a little different because this is when we finally officially had the AFL and NFL merge for the 1970 season. So now we're talking, we have a true, closer to what it is today, AFC versus NFC, and the game would be played in LA again. But from 1973 to 1980, they would play at just kind of random various stadiums, similar to how the Super Bowl is, you know? But now we come to the part in 1980 where... Yours truly, growing up as a boy, just assumed this is where it always was, you know, because this is what it was from when I was born. They played at Aloha Stadium in Honolulu, Hawaii, which of course brought huge economic impact to the uh, local territory and everything like that, but also gives a chance for the players to have a free little trip over to Hawaii and just kind of hang out. But with this, you know, kind of more of a laid-back atmosphere, it really turned to more of a scrimmage game, and the the AFC would play against the NFC, but uh, meh. No longer was this a true, you know, hardcore football game. This slowly, slowly turned into, hey, let's throw pillows at each other and that kind of thing. But it would slowly get to the point where a lot of fans, (laughs) they didn't really want to watch it. The NFL had to do something. In 2010, one thing that they did was they decided that they were going to have the Pro Bowl the week before the Super Bowl. 
Which, if you think about it, this is a good idea, uh, but it's also a bad idea. Now, here's the positive, the pro. There's always a bye week in between the AFC-NFC championship games and the Super Bowl to give the teams time for travel, extra practice. You have, you know, the whole Super Bowl week of media and all that kind of thing, but there was no football going on between then. So it was like, hey, what are we doing this Sunday? And that's why the NFL would move the Pro Bowl to the week before the Super Bowl, which also makes the Super Bowl, in theory, the ultimate ending to the season, which is a lot better than the Pro Bowl because that's like one of those like you get up so high for the Super Bowl, then you like kind of drop down for the Pro Bowl because it's just not as good as the Super Bowl. And of course, the way that they did it now kind of caused a different issue. You see, the Super Bowl contestants, they're not going to have any of their players playing in the Pro Bowl with the chance of getting hurt or, you know, not being there for practice. And this 2010 Pro Bowl, when they made this decision, it kind of showed true for the first time that well, this might not be a great idea. This was the Indianapolis Colts and the New Orleans Saints Super Bowl. Now, I remember this game myself. I was rooting for the Colts, and then they had that interception, and they were defeated. Also, that onside kick by the Saints. However, that's not what we're talking about. We had 14 players that were elected to the Pro Bowl right there from the Colts and Saints. So, bam, all of a sudden, 14 players out. Now, on top of that, we had 15 more players that decided to skip it on the Pro Bowl. Various reasons. I mean, you have injuries that they've been nursing or players that don't want to get hurt or eh, different kind of reasons, but they had 29 total players skip it on the Pro Bowl. And that was a record. So this is like 29 of these top players that we picked. Now we're digging from the second, triple, third barrel. This isn't like a true Pro Bowl. I mean, here, here's all you need to know. In that Pro Bowl, David Garrard was a quarterback. Now, I'm not sure if you remember this dude, but that year, he had a 7-9 record for 3,600 measly little yards and 15 touchdowns for a quarterback rating of 83.5. Let's just say that is not exactly Pro Bowl worthy, unless you're playing back in the 30s or something, but this was 2010. I mean, in other sports, fans really do look forward to the All-Star Games. I mean, one that you can bring up is baseball because there's the least risk of injury probably between that and basketball. Basketball is, you know, all about showboating and baseball. You've got the home run derby on top of it, so that's real cool to watch. But not so much for the NFL. One reason for this is because they have special rules. I mean, this is for player safety, but it dulls the game. I mean, here's an example. Quarterback can throw the ball away at any time so he doesn't have to take a sack. And, you know, the defenses really can't blitz, rushing with only linemen. And there are a bunch of other rules and things like that, too. And 2015... The league added five rule changes that, in hopes of improving safety above all else, because that's the number one thing, but also they hope that it would help improve the gameplay to make it a little bit more interesting and fun to watch. And the first one that they did, that they uh, put in place, was no more kickoffs. Then they also made the uprights a little bit more narrow, you know, always got to get these kickers and got to screw them over and that kind of thing. But hey, you made the pro Bowl. You're supposed to be one of the best at the game. So just shut up and quit crybabying. They added more timeouts. And they added more two-minute warnings. Now, the purpose of these were to entice the two-minute offenses so there's more action at the end of the games and the more timeouts so you could make different kinds of plays and that, you know, just make it so that it's a little bit more pass-happy. Now, a goofy game timing rules is something else, too. For example, if there's two minutes to go in any quarter or less and a team calls a run play and they fail to gain a yard, 
the clock stops. Like it's an incomplete pass. And again, trying to promote the game flow as far as excitement and points. And because, you know, it's not really going to be a defensive struggle because of the style of play that you're going to have. But it was the NFL's attempt, as they always do, to kind of try to create more of a fan experience. Which brings us back to the location of the Pro Bowl where it was played in Hawaii from 1980 until 2016. So on June 1st, 2016, the NFL announced that they were going to move away from Hawaii to Orlando, Florida. Which, I mean, it sucks that they're getting it out of Hawaii, but then it's more accessible in Florida to contiguous state fans because then they can drive there for many of them or flying to Florida is definitely not as costly as it would be to Hawaii. So right there, out the gate, you know, you're accessing a lot more fans. And they try to spice it up throughout the week for the fans as well. And one thing that they did a few years for the Pro Bowl was uh, they, they had an unconference type of game where they had former Hall of Fame players, which were considered like the captains, and they'd be like, you know, back in the backyard or playing dodgeball, and they'd pick their teams, and you go and I go, and I get my receiver, you get your quarterback, and hey, quit taking my guy. And, you know, it was kind of like fantasy football draft, but it was real. But they went back to the conference, and now it's the same where it's the AFC guys versus the NFC guys. and. Currently, the Pro Bowl week is in Orlando at ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex, and this year it's going to run from January 23rd through January 26th, which, by the way, January 23rd, (laughs) that's the day this episode releases, so if you're listening, better get over to Orlando, you only got a couple more days, because they got a bunch of events going on there. For instance, you can watch Pro Bowl practices, they have the Skills Showdown, NFL Flag Championships, Celebrity Flag Football Game, and many more. Then, of course, afterwards, you got to go watch the game on that Sunday. And speaking of the game, this year, a little bit of an enticement to make the game a little bit more competitive. The winning team, each player, they will get $67,000 game check. The losing team still gets paid for $34,000 ahead. But if you win, you get a little bit of bump there. And we didn't really talk a whole lot about how the players get voted, but it's transformed throughout the years. In the past, it was nothing but coaches and administrators or team owners. And then there was, you know, some fan involvement. And now it's just a lot more, let's say, engaging for the fans. There's different ways that you can vote. There's the internet, for instance, in 1995, the NFL was the first professional sports league to offer online voting for your favorite players in the all-star game. And Just different kind of innovative ways that they've been able to get fans involved. For instance, right now, it looks like uh, next year, that is, because it's already been voted upon. But if you uh, use a hashtag Pro Bowl vote and and the Twitter deal, you'd be able to vote for your favorite player. And that's throughout a specific time. So next year, keep an eye out for that. But ultimately, even though you do vote, there there is a combination. It's not just fans' votes. It's a combination of fans voting the coaches and players to determine the all-stars for the particular season that you're in. And it should be that way. It shouldn't just be fans because a lot of players may go fantasy football, but let's just think about it. Yeah, you might have a great fantasy football season, but at the same time, there are a lot of players that have mediocre fantasy football seasons, but they really contributed to the success of the team a heck of a lot more than a few stats in the box there. But with that being said, The Pro Bowl game may have devolved into a meaningless game that many NFL fans and players do not take as seriously as it used to be back in the day, but this doesn't mean the game is something that is totally pointless. The city of Orlando also begs to differ. 
with more than $40 million economic impact for the city during this week. The players also care, because being selected to the Pro Bowl means that you're one of the best at your position in the entire NFL. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets about the history of the Pro Bowl. In the upcoming episode, we're going to head back to learn about that first Super Bowl ahead of this year's Super Bowl coming up. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe with your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>